Okay. Well, this afternoon we are going to look at a particular passage. We are going to look at Psalm 62. So I invite you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 62. And our text is going to be the the whole psalm, so it's actually uh, 12 verses that we're going to cover this afternoon. Once you get there, you're going to see that there's a a heading at the top of the psalm, not the the one that the the Bible translation provides, but the actual psalm includes a, a superscript. And as you can see in this heading, it says to the choir master, according to Yeduthun, a psalm of David. So this psalm was written by David, and there are instructions for it to be included in the music ministry at the temple and sung during times of corporate worship. Now, we have to remember a few things about David. David was God's chosen king over Israel. He was a flawed man, but nonetheless, he was a righteous king. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to rule well over God's chosen nation and people. He was righteous through faith. And as God himself said, he was, he was a man after God's own heart. Now David rightly recognized his own sinfulness and thus his continual need for God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and deliverance. And he trusted in God alone for salvation. His genuine faith in God is clearly displayed in the accounts of his life that we find in Samuel and in 1 Chronicles and in the many psalms that he wrote. They're really like half the book of psalms are the psalms of David. Psalm 62 is a song that David wrote during a time of adversity when he was dealing with treacherous men in his midst. And we don't know what the exact historical situation was, but, I mean, it could have been during the time of Absalom's rebellion against him, his son's rebellion against him. But whatever it may have been, it is apparent, based on what is expressed in verses 3 through 4, that men who claimed to be loyal to David were scheming against him and seeking his downfall. However, rather than despairing or or lashing out, David gave glory to God and gave expression to his faith and gave encouragement to God's people by writing this song. This is a song with a message, and the message is this, true security and hope in this life are found in God alone. So, we should be trusting in him at all times. Let's go ahead and read the psalm. I had already read the heading, starting in verse 1 now. David writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, 
like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken. Twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. So we see in verse 1, David's opening statement, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. David began his psalm with a statement that reflected his confidence in God's care for him. Now, certainly, people's disloyalty and antagonism towards him was concerning, but he knew that his salvation came from God, and therefore he was secure, and he could not be threatened by men. His salvation was secure and could not be threatened by men. So whatever earthly trouble they were trying to cause him, well, he knew it would not last, just as they themselves would not last. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, David turned to the everlasting God and patiently waited for him to act. The silence of his soul before God indicated that he had truly left the matter in God's hands. Now, in response to personal attacks and, and betrayal, are we not tempted to lash out? When you are being wronged by someone, do you not feel the desire to get back at that person in some way? And if you restrain yourself from doing so, do you not feel the desire to harbor bitterness against that person and obsess over the offense? And yet, here we see that King David, who certainly had the means to take matters into his own hands, well, instead he chose to entrust the matter to God. What then did David, the mighty warrior, do? Well, he prayed to God about the situation and then wrote a song about it. Write that down. All right, next time I am troubled. Pray to God, write a song about it. A song, by the way, David wrote his song. It did not dwell on the offenses against him, but it dwelled instead on the goodness and faithfulness of God. 
In verse 2, we read, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David acknowledged in verse 1 that his salvation would come from God. And here we see David's acknowledgement of the greater reality that God himself is his salvation. He viewed God as his rock and fortress. Both of these terms refer to places of, of safety and protection. A rock, that is a, a large boulder or a rock face in which there is a cleft or a cave, served as both a hiding place and a shelter. The Hebrew word that is translated as fortress refers specifically to high ground, a place that was high up, such as a hilltop or a cliff. It was a, a position of, of security where one could be easily defended from attack. And such high ground was the ideal location for a fortress. And while David, on a number of occasions, made use of these earthly places of safety and protection, and he did utilize caves, hiding in the rock. Uh, he did well, build his dwelling place on the Mount Zion. He made use of these earthly places of safety and protection, but he knew that it was God alone who ultimately kept him safe and protected him at all times and in all circumstances. Therefore, on this occasion, when disloyal men were plotting and scheming against him, David rested under the sovereign care of God. And because God was his help and salvation, he was truly secure. The knowledge of God reassured him and thus calmed his soul. And this reassurance, we see, also strengthened him, strengthened him. David said, I shall not be greatly shaken. His confidence was not derived from his own strength or his own position or resources. Rather, it was derived from God Almighty, whom he feared and loved and trusted and served. That's where his strength came from. So he could so boldly proclaim, I will not be greatly shaken. David then addressed those who were troubling him. He addressed them directly in verse 3 and then indirectly in verse 4. In verse 3, he wrote, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Now this verse has been translated a, a number of different ways. One detail that I want to point out is that the Hebrew verb translated as batter here means to strike down or to kill. And in this verse, it is in the passive voice. So it would be more accurate to translate it as follows. You will be struck down. You will be struck down. And I believe that among the modern Bible translations, again, when you compare them, sometimes there's differences in these kinds of verses where there are different ways that could be uh, translated. But I believe in the modern Bible translations, this verse would more accurately is translated in the New King James Version in this case, which reads as follows. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. 
And I would make some slight modifications to that and translate it as follows. Listen to this. How long will you attack a man? You will be struck down. All of you are like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Now, based on what we see in verse 4, David's enemies wanted to see him overthrown. And they were scheming against him. In verse 4 we read, he says, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. In the words of one commentator, he wrote this, with their mouths they were blessing David and praising him, but in their hearts they were cursing him and plotting evil plans against him. Their slanderous lies threatened to turn the tide of public opinion against him and undermine his leadership. End quote. So they were desire, uh, devising evil plans against God's anointed king over Israel. They were disloyal and full of deceit, and they clearly did not fear God because they were actively working against his servant David. No fear of God before their eyes. As it is abundantly clear in the scriptures, God will bring the way of the wicked to ruin, and they will perish. God cannot be mocked. God is just. David wrote in Psalm 37, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. No one can escape the justice of God. People will reap what they sow, and so David declared to his duplicitous adversaries, that their evil plans against him would result in them being struck down. David did not need to issue threats. His enemies were under the imminent threat of divine judgment because of their evil schemes. So he said to them, you will be struck down. Now exactly when and how this would happen was up to God. He left it in God's hands. The timing and the means by which this would happen, that's in God's hands. David, on his part, patiently waited. He compared his adversaries to a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They perceived themselves to be strong and secure, which is why they were so bold to defy God and devise plans against David. But David described them as being unstable and on the verge of collapse. You ever see a, a leaning wall? You're like, well, that's not going to be up much longer. Something's just going to put a little pressure on it, and it's just going to fall right down. Such were David's enemies, unstable on the verge of collapse. They were standing for now, but their end would come soon enough, and all their so-called strength and security would be shattered on the day that God struck them down. 
Now, after addressing his adversaries in verse 3 and speaking to them in verse 4, David once again reflected upon the true security he had under the loving care of God. One commentator says, It was right to speak frankly of the traitors and their plots in the first stanza, but now it is David's wisdom to brood on them no longer. He fills his thoughts with God. End quote. So David wrote in verses 5 and 6, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. See, God is, well, he's the polar opposite of a leaning wall and a tottering fence. He is a rock and a fortress, a high place, to those who trust in him. Verse 5 and 6 are, well, they're almost identical, the verses 1 and 2. This time, however, David tells his soul, he tells his soul to wait in silence for God alone. He was not indifferent to what was going on. Not a super saint just coasting through life. Singing it as well with my soul and not not ever disturbed by things that happen in this fallen world in this present evil age. So he wasn't indifferent. And after writing briefly about the treachery and the malicious plans of his enemies, it seems as if he was reminding himself, first of all, to resist the temptation to take matters into his own hands, and, and second of all, to continue waiting patiently for God to intervene, trusting that God would indeed preserve him and deliver him from his enemy's scheme. So he, he tells his soul to wait in silence once again. And then David stated why his soul would continue to wait in confident silence for God alone. And that is because his hope came from God. In other words, his expectation of an ultimate happy outcome was rooted in the irrevocable promises of God which he clung to by faith. The promises of ultimate salvation, blessing, glory, and everlasting life. God so promised it and therefore he had a true hope, an abiding hope in God. James made the following pronouncement of blessing in his inspired epistle. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has has promised to those who love him. In verse 6, David once again stated his confidence in God alone as, as the one who ultimately kept him safe and protected him at all times and all circumstances He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. The first time around, David said he would not be shaken greatly. And here he states, I will not be shaken, period. God is an unassailable bastion of security and strength to those who are his. The more 
David contemplated the power and faithfulness of God, the more his faith was strengthened. The more we contemplate the power and faithfulness of God, the more we contemplate the power and faithfulness of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the more our faith will be strengthened. And we will not be shaken by the troubles of this life and the wicked schemes of others. So we ought to do what David did. Fill your thoughts with God. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is your life. He is your hope. In verse 7, David added a final statement to his confession of confidence in the sovereign care of God. He wrote, On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And once again, David emphasized the strength of God and, and the sufficiency and dependability of his protection. Well, notice here that David added that not only his salvation, but also his glory rested on God. His glory or honor, literally his weightiness, referred to both his dignity and his, his high position. Well, his enemies dishonored him and sought to thrust him down from his high position. But he knew that the God had made his position secure. And even if he was brought low for a time, God would nonetheless restore him. After all, in David's case, well, God had promised in his covenant with David that David's house and kingdom and throne would be established forever. And that one of his own sons would succeed to the throne after he died. Clung to the promises of God. David knew that, that his glory, his exaltation and honor rested on God and thus were secure. And the same is true for the Christian. God predestined all those whom he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So all of us who have come to fear the Lord and have been justified by faith in Christ, will one day be glorified in his presence. It is certain. It's the promise of God. Therefore, we can, we can rightly say, right along with David, on God rests my salvation and my glory. Then we get to verse 8. And David he exhorted his fellow Israelites, those who had remained faithful, to trust in God as he had been doing. There is righteous leadership, a righteous king over his people. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David called on them to unburden themselves before God in fervent prayer and to cast all their anxieties on him since he was indeed a refuge for his people. 
And we can assume that, that David had already poured out his, his own heart before God, which is why his soul was calm before God and was content to wait in silence. The Apostle Paul gave a similar exhortation to the church in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whenever I consider such calls to prayer, there's a certain song that always comes to my mind. And it's this 19th century hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, by a man named Joseph Scriven. I think that's how you might say his last name. But listen, listen to the words of this hymn. What a friend, Christian, what a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. A lot of connections to this psalm. As as David said, God is a refuge for us, and so is Jesus, who is God the Son. And now after calling God his rock, fortress, and refuge, and stating that his salvation, hope, and glory rested on God, well, David pointed to the utter insufficiency of man's self-reliance. Verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. All the sons of Adam are born in corruption because of their sin. Their days are thus short upon the earth and will come to an end. For the wages of sin is what? It is death. Death is the great equalizer. No matter matter how high your position is, no matter how great your influence is, no matter how many possessions you have, all of it will be lost when you die. The earthly glory of man is a delusion. Why? Well, because it is bound up in the temporal things of this passing world. 
and man will be stripped bare when his life is taken from him. And it will be revealed then more than ever that he had no real weightiness at all. He was lighter than a breath. In light of this, David gave the following threefold exhortation. Verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Because people wrongly view material wealth as their security in life and as something well, that will bring them lasting happiness. They're often willing to resort to wicked and violent measures in order to obtain it. I just had more. That's the answer. I'll have happiness. I'll have security. It's worth whatever means. But material wealth is a false security. And David, after stressing the fact that the man has no staying power in this life, he exhorts others not to trust in material wealth and obsess over it. Put no trust in it. Set no vain hopes on it. Set not your heart on it. Doing so is ultimately a fool's errand because it is, it is fleeting, just as your life is fleeting. It will not shield you, material wealth will not shield you from the destructive consequences of sin, nor will it save you from death. It is no refuge. Possessions, position, earthly positions, wealth, stuff ain't going to save you. It is no refuge. But God is a refuge for us. He truly is. God is the one who will truly keep us from being shaken. He's the mighty rock and fortress in whom we find true and lasting security. For salvation and hope and glory come only from him. They are found in him. And here is how David ended his psalm. In verses 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. In other words, this is something God said, and I've heard it more than once. What is it? That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. And this is the, the first time in the psalm where he speaks directly to God. To you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Well, in order for God to be, to truly be, a mighty rock and fortress, one in whom we can have true and lasting security and, and the hope of salvation and everlasting glory, well, he must be both all-powerful, and perfectly faithful, and that he is. Both power and steadfast love, steadfast love referring to, to faithfulness, 
loyalty, trustworthiness. He's faithful and true. Both power and steadfast love, faithfulness, belong to him. So God is both able and faithful to save and grant everlasting life to all who are trusting in him alone for salvation. He is able and he is faithful to do it. He will. Notice that last statement in verse 12. You will render to a man according to his word. Well, so likewise, God is both able and faithful to destroy and execute everlasting judgment upon those who are trusting in themselves and living life on their own terms. So the question is, do you want to have the same calmness of soul and hope that of salvation that David did? You want to have that calmness of soul? Perhaps you're wondering, well, how, how can one truly have that kind of peace and assurance? I mean, really? Well, the answer in the psalm is quite clear. We see it right before us, right? Well, David, David trusted in God, and he trusted in God alone. And thus he took refuge in him. Right? It's by faith. It's a real abiding trust in God. He took refuge in him. Okay, how can you do that? What's required of you here and now? How do you begin to take refuge in God? I mean, for the one who doesn't truly know that peace, the one who truly doesn't have that calmness of soul, how do you begin well, we get, begin by, by turning, turning from our sinful ways and trusting in God's Son, the Lord Jesus, the promised Messiah of the royal line of David who will establish the everlasting kingdom of God on earth and will restore all things. Jesus, the righteous one, came down from heaven and into the world and made atonement for sinners by bearing the divine retribution that they deserve for their sins and dying in their place. And after satisfying the justice of God towards those for whom he died, God raised him from the dead and exalted him as Lord over all. And God grants forgiveness of sins and eternal life to those who believe and trust in him. It is through faith alone and in Jesus Christ alone that one is reconciled to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. He is God the Son. He is the only Savior. Those who trust in him have an everlasting refuge. Those who do not trust in him remain on the broad road that leads to destruction. They are like the the leaning wall, the tottering fence. No security, no real stability in life, and in a moment they will die in their sins They will be condemned in the final judgment and they will perish forever under the eternal wrath of God. So the answer to seek refuge is to turn to Christ 
and live. As the scripture says, blessed are all who take refuge in the Son. We embrace Christ by faith, and we have truly taken refuge in God. And we are sheltered from the wrath of God, and we are clothed and washed in the grace and mercy of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we truly have an everlasting refuge and the hope of glory. We will not be put to shame. We can certainly say I will not be shaken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for allowing us to to see the heart of David, your servant. A mighty man though he was, he was like us, a sinner, with weaknesses. And he knew that apart from you, apart from your grace and mercy towards him, a sinner, he would have no hope. But he came to know you as you truly are, the everlasting God, who is not only righteous and just and holy, but also full of grace and mercy and willing to extend forgiveness to all who trust in him. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and securing this salvation for all who believe, for all who are counted as righteous through faith, for making us secure so that we truly have an eternal, everlasting hope, the hope of glory, the hope of entrance into your everlasting kingdom. Thank you for saving us. We pray that you would show that same rich mercy towards any who are are here now or even watching from afar online if they don't truly know you or if they're trusting in a, an empty profession, I pray that your spirit would convict them of that and open their eyes to see themselves rightly as they truly are, helpless, hopeless, apart from faith in you. We pray that you would give them grace and you'd give them life just as you have us. You are a refuge. Thank you for the shelter you've given us. Thank you for the security and the hope that we have in you. Amen. We're going to sing one.